Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, more local families are about to be eligible for home lead testing, thanks to an adjustment in how the state health department calculates risk in kids. And those resources sound like a good thing, but what's really at stake for all the children who have already been exposed to lead? Senior producer Megan Harris is here to break it down. It's Wednesday, March 23rd. I'm Morgan Moody, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. All right, so Megan, the federal government banned lead paint in 1978. So we've known since way back, before we were even born, not to age us, but that lead is bad. (laughs) (laughs) But the water crisis in Flint, Michigan, brought it back into the public consciousness in 2014. So is Pittsburgh's problem as bad as Flint's? As recently as 2017, some people probably would have argued yes. So we're going to go back in time just a little bit. Between 2012 and 2015, Pittsburgh had a contract with a very large, very private water company called Veolia. They were supposed to manage the water supply, you know, like the way the water gets to customers, pipes and other things for the Pittsburgh Water and Sewer Authority. So by all reports, they came in, fired a bunch of management, made some changes, and collected a fee based on how much money they could allegedly save PWSA. Um, On paper, it went really well. There was a ton of cost savings. But in terms of lead, it did not go well at all. So within a year of that contract expiring, PWSA had filed suit against Veolia, alleging they, quote, grossly mismanaged PWSA's operations, abused its positions of special trust and confidence, and misled and deceived the authority. PWSA asked for $12.5 million to be recouped in a lawsuit, but it was eventually dropped, and both parties agreed not to blame each other. That didn't, of course, account for the $2 million in fines that we racked up from the state during that period. But even without blame, it's clear that Pittsburgh's lead problem during that period got a lot, lot worse. That's wildly dangerous to think about um, because, you know, that's the continuation of being exposed, children being exposed to lead. So are things any better now? As it relates to water, absolutely. Um, So part of the issue, and I'm going to skim some details here, almost 10 years ago now, PWSA added a, a chemical into our water supply that was supposed to help prevent lead from making it into our taps. We'd been using something called soda ash to keep lead and other heavy metals from leaching into our water. But in 2014, while Veolia was working with us, PWSA switched to a less expensive product called caustic soda, which did not work. So in PWSA's home tests, our local lead levels rose drastically. They weren't good in 2010 before this period, um, and no amount of lead is totally safe, but it rose from 10 parts per billion then to 22 parts per billion by 2016. Wow. Parts per billion is how it's usually calculated and how you'll often see it listed in like the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and other things. Um, So the EPA's trigger line, like their warning line, is 15 parts per billion. So we started at 10, already not great. 15 is like the line where you like start getting fined and they sound the alarm. 22 is- And we're double that. Yeah, 22 is what we were at in 2016, deeply in the danger zone. So all that said, since dropping Veolia and reorganizing a little bit, PWSA has reversed a lot of that. So we now use a different chemical called orthophosphate. It seems to function a whole lot better than its predecessors. 
As recently as late January, we showed seven parts per billion as a community, so less than half that level that the EPA is worried about. And in the meantime, they've been working on all of our underground pipes, too. Officials say they've replaced about 8,800 public service lines over the last five years. They still have about that many to go. And they're also doing a bunch of big water mains, like that two-mile stretch along Forbes and Fifth Avenue that's been all wrapped up since last summer. That's a lot of changes. That's, I mean, that's great that they're doing the work right now, but how are they paying for all that? Yeah, it's a mix. Um, it's all financed with help from state and federal programs. Uh, that includes the Pennsylvania Infrastructure Investment Authority, usually uh, shortened to PennVest, and the city via part of its share of that 2021 American Rescue Plan that was part mm-hmm. of the COVID packages. Mm-hmm. That money, by the way, is what's funding the work at the neighborhood level. So select areas can expect construction to start in the next few months. So why is lead still a problem then, health-wise in Pittsburgh? And who is it a problem for? Yeah, lead isn't safe for anybody, but it's especially harmful for little kids. Mm -hmm. So, yes, the city is slowly addressing these major service lines, the water mains, but the housing stock in the city is just ancient. Mm -hmm. Tons and tons of homes are still outfitted with lead piping, and that's on homeowners or landlords to address. And it also should be said that it's not all about water. Lead is also just as dangerous in the soil outside your home as all of the surfaces inside your home. So say, for example, you've recently remodeled or bought a house that was flipped. Did they follow the proper protocols or did they sand a 70-year-old craftsman home inside and out, dropping dust or paint chips everywhere? It's just thinking like, oh, this is no big deal. We'll clean it up later, which works for them and even for most adults, because if it looks clean, it probably is clean. But now your toddler's crawling all over it, putting their hands and everything else in their mouths. And they're totally unaware, just like their parents, that anything's wrong until they test for an elevated blood level. So for kids, is there a baseline number that suggests that they're in the danger zone as far as lead exposure and how can we protect them from it? Yeah. So in terms of protection, a lot of it comes down to testing. So in 2018, Allegheny County mandated tests for all kids under age two. So in a perfect world, that's done in a pediatrician's office or something like that around the nine month mark. And then again, between 18 and 24 months. If at any point they show a presence of lead, they'll be retested more frequently, maybe monthly or at like three to six month intervals. And the families also qualify for abatement resources through the county and other sources. And as to the baseline, I guess one number that a lot of folks have been looking at is from the state health department's annual childhood lead surveillance report. That was released in January, showing data from 2020, so a little belated. But as of that year, about 6,000 kids in Allegheny County had elevated blood lead levels after those routine tests. And now officials are expecting it to go up quite a bit in the coming months. Wow. And that's just from routine tests. So that baseline number is about to change. Is that why it's going up? So that 6,000 number is based on an old measure. The number to know there is five micrograms per deciliter. Kind of hard to wrap your head around, but anyway, the number (laughs) that's important is five. When those 6,000 kids tested with elevated levels, that was the number that the state said we should be monitoring. If your child tests at or above it, we want to check your home for sources that could be exposing your little one to lead and keep an eye on them to make sure that the trend doesn't go up. But not so long ago, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention adjusted their numbers down. So instead of five, they now recommend three and a half, which the state just adopted as well. So because the threshold is lower, more kids are likely to test with those higher lead levels. Is that a good thing, lowering that level? Like, is there any benefit to that? 
Yeah, I mean, kids still live where they live, right? So like assuming you haven't moved or anything in the last year, the exposure risk is the same now as it was a few months ago. But it means that way more kids are now going to be eligible for extra monitoring. So more tests to see whether those lead levels go up or down. Home testing through the county, which hopefully helps parents identify where the lead is coming from in the first place. And then early intervention services that can help parents monitor their kids for potential developmental delays. And to be clear, (laughs) developmental delays can crop up from all sorts of sources, lack of stimulation in the home, environmental exposure, poor nutrition, like parental education or maturity, um, even siblings um, or supportive atmospheres can can trigger those. So this is just one way for parents to stay aware of it, regardless of the lead level at the time. And are delays likely at that lower level? I talked to a physician at UPMC Children's, Dr. Kristen Hannibal, to check in on that. Um, she's the clinic director for their primary care center. And according to her, no. Like, it's great that so many more kids will be eligible for that monitoring. But to her, three and a half is still, like, barely registering and not a cause for medical concern. Yeah, It's kids that come in with rates in the teens or even 20s that trigger her team into immediate action and are far more likely, um, from her perspective, to contribute to any kind of developmental delay. So what if your child is like five now and a few years ago they tested at 3.5 back when it wasn't really considered, you know, a problem that wasn't the the baseline threshold? Are those kids in danger? Dr. Hannibal says no. At Like I said, at these low levels, really what this does is just help introduce parents and caretakers to the possibility of danger, make them aware that a problem could be present. So it, like I said, it just triggers those additional supports should guardians want to take advantage of them. And you mentioned the county can step in. I was reading about this free home inspection through the uh, Economic Development Office. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. So that's part of it. It's called the Safe and Healthy Homes Project, and it'll cover up to $12,000 in home repairs with qualified contractors. It's super helpful. But I will say for anyone who's attempted home repair, you know how expensive that ish can get. Yeah. Um, Like I have one friend who's child showed an elevated lead level a few years ago, it took her family nearly $50,000 to deal with all of their largely invisible to them problems. Her family was privileged enough to stomach it, but not everyone's that lucky. And a ton of people in Pittsburgh rent, which means getting your landlord to be on board with all this too. And so let's say all of that works out. You get that grant money, you find a contractor, your landlord's even willing to help in some way. But you also probably want to be on site, at least when the work gets started, Mm -hmm. because it's not out of the question that a well-intentioned contractor might okay the work, then send a subcontractor with no lead abatement experience to go execute the job. So that's what happened in my friend's case. So thanks to some job flexibility, she was able to just stand there and instruct the crew on how to do everything correctly. But again, not all of us have that kind of money and time. Sheesh, yeah, no. With these contractors, what sorts of things are they looking at during these inspections? Yeah, usually there are three big tests they do for interior surfaces, for water, and for soil. Uh, And if you've got a newer house, you're a lot less likely to have a lead problem because, as you mentioned, lead paint was banned as of 1978. So if your house was built after that, the odds of you having any kind of issue, at least in that source, are much, much lower. But the older houses, it just depends on how it's been cared for. So one example a ton of experts have talked about is like window tracks, for example. If they're painted, how does that paint look, right? Like the last coat or two coats or even six coats could all be fine. Really nice latex paint. 
But if you remember, lead paint was used because it was so good at adhering to surfaces. So if over time you raise and lower your windows or open doors, that paint could chip and reveal the lead-coated surfaces that you have to worry about. Uh, Same issues with door frames or where your flooring changes and isn't sealed properly, if tile cracks in your bathroom, even fireplaces. And then for soil, it could be because, say, your home was sanded before being repainted and all that lead paint and filings dropped into your flower beds where now your little kids like to dig in the dirt. Water, on the other hand, can be mitigated through filtered pitchers, your Brita, for example. But if it turns out to be from your pipes, well, that's a bigger uphill battle. And you also have to consider all the places that your baby goes in a day, right? So maybe it's not from your house. Maybe it's grandma's house or a family friend. God help us, it could be from daycare. Dr. Hannibal with UPMC even suggested checking your toys. Nothing made in the U.S. can include lead these days, but antique toys or some of those sold from overseas countries can still include lead. So she says to be really careful what you buy on Amazon. Wow. Lead is like glitter. It's just you never get rid of it. (laughs) Never. So if you don't happen to have, you know, $50,000 laying around. Who does, right? (laughs) Who does? I barely have $50 laying around. What happens if you find out that your house has all these unsafe levels of lead after the inspection? Yeah. So, I mean, the best advice is fix what you can, right? Go to your retesting appointments. Make sure that your kid is being monitored properly. Get a water pitcher that filters out lead and only serve yourself and your child from that pitcher. And then if you can, the paperwork is a nightmare. That's always true. But work with the county and try your best to keep your kids away from any area of your home or other people's homes that maybe show signs of that lead. As with all things, do your best with the resources that you have. Senior producer Megan Harris, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Some more news before you go. After a two-year hiatus, Pittsburgh Street Sweepers will be back on April 1st. They were not missed, which means everyone is going to get higher tickets if you don't move your car on Street Sweeping Day. The sweepers run every weekday in neighborhoods all over the city, so consult your signs in your neighborhood if you're not sure about yours, because you will get a ticket, believe me. And don't forget, it's Pittsburgh Humanities Festival this week. Internationally known artists and performers are coming together with community leaders, academics, and changemakers from Pittsburgh. Attendees will hear everything about our city from the history, policy, and politics to Shakespeare and even Kennywood. It's all part of the exploration of being human. The festival runs through Sunday, the 27th. That's it for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you're digging the show, leave us a review and follow us on social. We're on Twitter and Instagram at CityCastPGH. And God help us, we got a Facebook or a Meta or I don't know, whatever y'all use. But if that's your thing, give us a follow there too. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you then. Okay, you know I don't like them. I got real beef with the parking authority.